Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the first episode of Mamba Moments on the Believe Podcast Network. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mamba Moments. And we have here with us today the legendary Kamenetsky brothers who have done an amazing job of covering Kobe and the Lakers over the years and providing international fans with a window into the insights. And these guys truly get Kobe. Uh, Brian and Andy, do you guys mind telling everyone a little bit about yourselves and your history with Kobe and the Lakers? Uh, we, we began covering the Lakers full-time um, in 2005, the 2005-2006 season. That was the season that Phil came back, um, the uh, otherwise known by a lot of people as the Smush Kwame years. Um, and we had been around the team in a more limited capacity before that, doing some stringer work for uh, ESPN, the magazine. And we also have lived in LA for a while. So obviously had been, you know, in proximity of Kobe's career, but that's really when it began was that 2005, 2006 season, which as it turned out was exactly the second half of Kobe's career. Amazing. Uh, very, very good stuff. And, and Brian also does a lot of great work with Andy yeah. writes some phenomenal yeah. articles. <laughs> Oh man, gotta have that sibling rivalry, right? Uh, no, the, that athletic article that you wrote, Brian, recently was was absolutely incredible for uh, with Kobe. And you guys did an amazing podcast interview or in show about Kobe with the Athletic, and you said that no one's presence was larger than Kobe Bryant. And I wanted to ask you guys to elaborate on that a little bit. Well, I, I, I just, I think when you, when you look at Co what Kobe was in the city, you know, a guy who was, you know, played for the same team for 20 years and um, he really kind of, he re he changed how we look at stars in this city. Like, you know, uh, players are supposed to have a certain way of doing things. You're supposed to approach things. If you're the star of a team in a certain way with the, you know, as Kobe did and, you know, he, other guys get compared to him, whether or not they play the same sport as Kobe does. And so I, I think when you look at his impact uh, around the city, it's, it goes beyond just, you know, the Lakers and how we think of the franchise and what he brought in the five titles and all that. He really changed, I think the, the kind of the mentality of how we view athletes. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really just because he was here for so long and was so distinctive in terms of how he approached things and, you know, kind of the mythology that built up around him, which he had a large role in creating yes. um, and, and all that. So I, I think when you, when you, when you talk about his impact that, that way, that's really where it comes from. Anything you'd like to add, Andy? Um, I, like Brian said, there was that mythology that I think Kobe was very self-aware in terms of the way he went about branding. I mean, it was, it was this combination of, earned mythology and also very proactive mythology. You know, I've, I've always marveled for a long time how Kobe managed to brand the concept of unlikability. You know, the, that period post-Colorado where, you know, a lot of sponsors had dropped him. He hadn't quite, you know, I think restored his brand, his uh, legacy, his, his image, all of that stuff. And he really leaned into that idea of, 
I'm going to be the villain of the NBA. And it, it's something that we've seen other players attempt to do. And most of them have not been successful because most people, it, I mean, I don't mean athletes, I mean, people want to be liked. It, it is human nature to want to want people to like you. And, you know, I mean, Kobe had plenty of people in his corner, which, which made, you know, pu putting on that black hat easier than it would be for a lot of other athletes, just because Kobe has, you know, he has a fan base that is as loyal and rabid and zealous as anything I've ever seen in sports. But it was just interesting to see him do that. And then as time went on, I think it turned more into just genuine appreciation, uh, you know, around the league among fan bases I mean it was funny when he when he did that farewell tour Kobe even remarked about how he, he would have preferred a little more booing you know as opposed to just the, you know the pure accolades that he got which I'm sure he he, he appreciated it was a little tongue-in-cheek but not completely it was right I mean he, he fed off he fed off that stuff in ways that a lot of athletes say that they do but I don't think that they really do he yeah, really I mean, did it was sort of a callback, I think, to earlier in his career with that sort of thing. Really, I mean, at that point, you know, he wasn't the same player. The Lakers weren't good. Um, so, I mean, it all kind of lined up well. It would have been very interesting to see what would have happened had Kobe been, a, you know, a, a little healthier. Uh, the Lakers been a little bit more competitive at that time. Like how his how his tour would have been received around the league, uh, how he would have treated it, you know, it, in the context of a you know, a playoff caliber team or a championship caliber team versus what they were. I mean, it allowed the the light to be shined on him in a way that I think was was great for for his career. Kind of nobody had to care about any of that stuff, and so it was that part of it. I think worked out really well. Absolutely no. And personally, I watched all 82 games of that season. Was lucky to go to the final game. Uh, I knew that you know you wouldn't get to see Kobe Bryant on the court again. One of the greatest 20 years. Did, did you even watch the ones that he wasn't playing in? Because that, yeah, that even was not because they added to the storyline. They added to the storyline of Kobe. Honestly, I, Scott, I, I was paid, I, they paid me to watch those games, and I'm not sure I watched all 82. Yeah, no, no. That was a terrible I, basketball I team. It. It, it was all for the Black Mamba, absolutely, no. And uh, I'm lucky to have, you know, followed his whole career, read every article and interview, and the guy is just inspirational uh, beyond all proportion. And so, you know, with that, one thing you guys mentioned was Kobe feeding off of the booze. Where do you think that came from with Kobe, from what you know, or how did he sort of use that to fuel him? Because that's something that a lot of people just can't do. You take the hate and you internalize it. And he found a way to really use it as fuel to actually perform and inspire others. Well, I think it's just athletes find things, you know, they, you know, they, they, many athletes really do find look for the slights they look for the people who think they can't look for the people who think they 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 can't you know won't be able to do something michael jordan was famous for inventing slights against him um you know who was it in the documentary andy that they they went george through? carl i believe no it was not with george carl but the player um like oh god i i don't even there know was the like guy. one was guy sort of that was like comes some guy played for the the i think the wizards or the whatever it was or the bullet might have even still been the bullets and he just destroyed him like this one it was, yes. his only claim to fame it, it, it'll come to me at some point in the conversation yeah, he made but, up the story yeah he just invented something that this guy did to him and just torched him 
and you know Kevin Durant does it and 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 a lot of players do it and I think you know this probably is something that Kobe may have taken from MJ is finding this using the slight as motivation um, you know Kobe himself never was never bought into his own kind of athleticism he always thought you know tried to portray himself and I think really did like look at it as I will get where I'm going by hard work. He, he downplayed his own talent in that regard, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, and so, you know, Kobe was remarkably athletic. He was remarkably talented, genetically gifted and all these other things, but he didn't want to lean on that. Like, so he, he downplayed those gifts in um, kind of in service of, getting himself to the gym at four in the morning every day and all those other things. Cause that's what he knew. We thought he needed to be the best player. And so it was, it all kind of is part of that same ecosystem. And so he, he finds slights in his own talent. He finds slights in things that other people are saying about him. Uh, other people are writing about him. People don't work as hard. And then, you know, you look at Michael Jordan, whose game was obviously, you know, very tightly patterned after and that's what MJ did is he found slights in, in what people were saying. And so if fans were going to boo him. That's something that he could turn around and use his motivation. And they don't boo you unless they care. They don't boo you if they don't yeah. respect you. Yeah. Um, and well, look at the chance he got in places like Boston after. Right. So, I mean, like that's, I think that's a lot of it is, you know, he, he understands how that dynamic worked and it appealed to him. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, I, that's very I, cool, Addy. Yeah, I, I was also going to say, I mean, there, there was, though, too. I mean, that he needed to lean into it initially because, I mean, the, Ramona Shelburne, I believe it was, wrote a really good piece for ESPN several years ago about how Kobe invented this Black Mamba persona out of the darkness that he was going through in, in the mid-2000s. Uh, you know, Shaq getting traded, but fans initially fans were angry at Kobe over that. Like Kobe got blamed for that three-peat group getting dissolved and, you know, and Phil Jackson leaving and Shaq getting traded. And obviously Kobe bears some responsibility in that happening because he was part of that dynamic, but he was not the sole reason that all of that did happen. But either way though, I mean, it's, it's easy to forget now, but Kobe was less popular than Shaq was among a lot of Laker fans at the time. Kobe was coming off that 2004 finals where he honestly played pretty badly and he shot them out of that series against Detroit. He had that one game where he played really well and pushed into overtime. And I believe that was the one game that they won in that series. Yeah. But by and large, Kobe did not play well. So there had been a lot of a lot of bad will built up locally against Kobe. Like I remember Brian and I were at the first game that Shaq returned as a member of the heat. Shaq got a standing ovation when he got announced. Kobe actually got booed and this was inside Staples center. And eventually Kobe played really well in that game and he won over the fans the same way he always did. But that it's just, it's important. And I think fascinating to remember that that really came from this place of necessity and I think in Kobe's mind self-preservation like it was a, it was a very dark period in, in Kobe's career and because he decided to do that and also because Kobe is incredibly self-confident and 
frankly, very creative in the way he went about doing a lot of this stuff. It, it managed to turn into this very interesting market. He managed to remake his image while leaning into for a while unlikability, which is unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's just a Brian and I have always found that a very fascinating part of his career. Wow. Wow. What great insight. No, absolutely. Thank you guys. One other thing I wanted to get your insight on that you alluded to a little bit is Kobe's fans and Kobe's fans fighting him for him and particularly being journalists in Los Angeles. Jesus you guys must Christ, have a man. really unique view. Yeah. I want to hear any great stories about that. Why? I mean, right. it's well, just a I mean, fascinating aspect. How, how much time do you got? As much as you need. Here's the, here's the thing. It's like, um, the, 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 the Venn diagram of, of Kobe fans overlaps the Venn diagram of Laker fans. Uh, there's, there's no question about that, Yeah, but they're not the same thing. Um, we're not exclusively the same thing if nothing else. Right. Right. That's what, that's, that's what I'm getting at. So it's like, you know, they are, you know, you are, especially when you go back to those more controversial years. I mean, by the end, I, you know, Kobe, for all the talk of Kobe being the most polarizing athlete in this, by the end, he really wasn't. Everybody no. kind of agreed on who he was and yeah. everybody was happy with it. No, the Lakers weren't. <laughs> I think he would have preferred to have been more polarizing down the stretch. The I, I, I think so too. But like, right. When you really go back to that era where he was genuinely polarizing, like, you know, play people, you know, there, there was, very few basketball fans you could find who were like sort of opinionless about Kobe Bryant. Like that just wasn't a thing. And the, the, the loyalty that fans had to him was often bigger than the loyalty that they had to the franchise. And it was, I, I think it was, I think it was the first part of a, a more modern dynamic of how NBA fans look at, at players in the league, but it was also unlike anything I'd ever seen like, in terms of like people genuinely being willing to give up their allegiance to uh, a, a franchise. If they didn't think they, they treated Kobe in the right way, or if, you know, Kobe was wrong or they would have followed Kobe to the Clippers or whatever it might've been. And so uh, to say that particularly in the early days when we were, you know, doing the stuff for the, the LA times blog and, you know, nobody quite knew what, any of the, the, the online platforms were going to be and the comment sections were pretty, you know, wild West style and all that. people were bleeping nuts. Like they were insane. Like you couldn't say like, I'm not saying everybody, cause not everybody comments on a blog, you know, people read yeah. and don't, but like the people who did comment, they were freaking nuts. Like you can't say anything that was even kind of a slight or perceived as a slight without people going crazy. Like Andy wrote a column about how Kobe should be the MVP of the league. Was this 2000? It was 2008. 2008. 2008. Like the and one everybody you got mad at him. Yeah, it was the nice. year that Kobe won. I wrote a piece for the LA Times uh, for the blog that Brian and I ran for the Times about why Kobe should be MVP that year. And the overwhelming majority of comments from Kobe fans were just screaming at me about how this article just proved how much I hate Kobe. And just like all, all of the reasons that I was giving for Kobe were really backhanded compliments. And they really demonstrated just how much of a personal distaste that I have for Kobe. Again, I will remind you, this was in an article that I wrote about why he should win MVP that year. But I, I used to always say that like the Kobe fanatics used to view him as half basketball God, half political prisoner. 
and like you know they they would walk out in the street and block a car from hitting Kobe but be disappointed that it wasn't a bus like a bus would have been more impressive than a car like they would have been disappointed by the fact that it was just like a, a typical four-door sedan but you I, I think you also though have to and he might have jumped over it in the commercial like, too people, people would go to like that was not a fake thing like people no would, there are plenty of people would hop no. in a car and go just, drive you, to Temecula to fight I about was just going to say Google Kobe and Temecula yeah, and that's all you need. That's all I remember need. that story with the guy who was literally going to go fight someone. But <laughs> yes. oh, my goodness. Yes. But but what you do have to remember, though, as far as that psychology is there was a period where being a fan of Kobe, I imagine, did feel like a 24 seven job where you were always having to defend the guy. Yep. And you were you know, and I was by there. extension by extension defend yourself for being a fan of Kobe. And after a while, you know, psychologically habits start building up and you, you become, in some ways you start looking for the same slights about Kobe as Brian was talking about before. Kobe used to look for those slights in terms of motivation on the court. Like, like I remember we, we had this regular commenter on the LA Times blog who was frankly a psychopath. I mean, th this guy really, I, I, I hope the authorities have found him and I, I, I hope that he is residing somewhere in a, in a six by 10 because I, it really seems like that's where he needed to be. Yeah. But he used to talk about how he was, he was living at, Brian went in Cleveland and that where he was living? I think so. He was living in Cleveland and he used to talk about how he would be in bars and he would look to bring up Kobe because he would look for people to say things about Kobe negative so he could get into a fight with them. And as he would always say, punch him in the throat. He was always looking to punch people in the throat, saying bad things about Kobe. And I even said to this guy in the comment section, I'm like, do you think Kobe wants this? No. Like Kobe would be like, like what the hell's the matter with you? No, like, no. I, like don't do this. And don't do this in my name. Yeah. Like, like that, that is sociopathic. <laughs> like yeah. psychopathic criminal yeah. behavior yeah but God. to andy's point though i think like what kobe became was essentially sort of a rorschach test for how you viewed basketball like you know you know because it was so much and this is just on the cusp of the analytics movement and 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 where you know the efficiency movement in basketball and kobe efficiency was not his hallmark um but you know, do you, but it was sort of the, the avatars for that were, you know, Kobe as the, the individualist uh, basketball player versus really a sort of a Tim Duncan, like, you know, uh, the, the guy who, who is part of the glue of the team and, and, you know, makes his teammates better or all this. So then like, you know, Kobe got slotted into this idea of like, you know, somebody who didn't make his teammates better, which is absurd. I mean, like the amount of players who looked awfully good next to Kobe and then went somewhere else and sucked. I mean, it's, there's plenty of it, but you know, and so some of the arguments really were genuinely unfair. And I think were, were related to people just kind of not liking him and not liking his personality and that persona. But that, that whole era was, was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And his fans often were insane, just like in a, in yes. sometimes in a good way, like, but like in just in a way that as a journalist and as a writer, you're just like, come on people. But then you get it because of the emotional investment that Andy's talking about. Like it really was something that it was harder to be a Kobe fan than to be a Tim Duncan fan. Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean, being, any harder way. 
Definitely. Absolutely. No, thank you guys so much for sharing uh, that insight. On my end, I guess being Canadian, I, I never had the urge to fight anyone over Kobe or anything no. like that. Um, but no, I think, you know, where I come from as we'll say more of a rational Kobe fan overall, you know, I love the greatness of other players as well. Uh, I think that it's, it's that attachment to that mentality of overcoming the odds. And I think that some people are able to sort of see the growth of him as a father and everything throughout his life and be really attracted to that path of, of greatness and wanting to sort of embody that and that Kendrick Lamar Nike video, you know, better, be a better version of yourself. That's how I've always viewed. Oh, sure. I mean, but what I think is, was what's fascinating, what's, what's interesting about that is like overcoming the odds and this and that, like. It's not like tune in next week for part two of my interview with the Kamenetsky brothers on Kobe Bryant. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.